Before we begin this podcast, if you or someone you know is in crisis or needs emotional support, there are tools that can help. You can call Talk Suicide Canada at 1-833-456-4566, or you can text 45645. Coming in the fall of 2023 in Canada, you can also call 988, just three numbers. You can also call the Kids Help Phone at 1-800-668-6868, and the Trans Lifeline in Canada is 1-877-330-6366. In the United States, 1-877-565-8860 or call 911. You are not alone and you do not need to be alone. Welcome to the We Are the ADHD Family Podcast. This podcast is meant to chronicle our family's journey with ADHD, autism, and other discoveries along the way. I reach out to advocates, experts, individuals, and other families that want to raise their voices and empower those on their journey. My name is Mark Speets, and I am passionate about removing barriers for others through creating connections, building on strengths, and practical problem solving. I am married to Siobhan, a father to two wonderful kids, and all of us have ADHD. We want you to feel like you have power and hope. I would like to honor and recognize the traditional and unceded territories of the Keitsi, Kwantlen, and Semiamu nations on whose territories I live, work, and play. I hope that wherever you are, you're doing safe, you're doing well, and thanks for, thanks for tuning in and downloading this. If you heard last week's episode, thank you very much for downloading it. Thank you for giving it a listen. I know it probably wasn't easy to hear. I hope the episode shed some light on just what some families are going through. This is what we went through as a family, and it wasn't easy. So I'm hesitant to say, I hope you enjoyed the episode, because <laughs> we didn't enjoy the episode. It was brutal. You're probably expecting the next part of the story to be this episode, but you can obviously see that it's called Random, and that's exactly what I've decided to do. In this episode, I'll give you an update on part two. I also want to go over asking questions and that it's okay to ask questions. Number three, if you've heard the past episodes, you know that I created a spreadsheet to help keep track of all the things that my wife and I had seen over the years. I want to give a really nice positive story about how that spreadsheet helped somebody else. And number four, we're going to talk swimming tips. You might be wondering, why are we going to talk about swimming? A lot of kids, whether they're autistic, whether they have ADHD, Down syndrome, etc., they struggle with swimming. And I think it's really important to point out that I don't know about your province, your city, your state, but a lot of swim lessons for kids who are neurodiverse, they suck. They really do. I want to dive into my background as someone who's swam for most of their life in various capacities and share some experience, share some tips, and see if it can help you out. And yes, you can stop laughing because I did say dive into my background when we're talking about swimming, and I did not mean to say that. Just laugh. That's just how it came out. All right, so let's give you an update on part two of the episode. I was hoping originally to have everything recorded and released for next week, but it's not going to happen. I really wanted to get my wife to help me with the second part. We've had a hard time trying to find any time to be able to do this. I also have to piece together what order everything happened in. 
that is proving to be a little on the difficult side because even though you remember the event, remembering the right order that everything happened in, you know, especially years later, ah, that's that's tough. That's really tough. I don't want to give an inaccurate, you know, account of what happened. I want it to be I want it to be accurate and correct. And maybe it's a good thing that, you know, the episode isn't ready. It gives you a breather. It gives me a breather. That's just being honest of where it's at. On to the next part. After I was done recording last week's episode, I felt really good. It was hard to do, but just having to work through everything was cathartic for me. I'm a very easy person to ask questions to. And that's partly because I will want to ask questions. But what I forget is other people aren't as comfortable asking questions, picking your brain, that sort of thing. That can make a situation like ours awkward. Someone may have a genuine question about it, and I don't want to stand in the way of of that. This is partly why we're all here you know, listening to this episode, listening to this show. We want to know what happened. We're invested. And we want to see how... What did we do to manage things? What were the techniques that we came up with? And we came up with some cool stuff. So let's put some steps to this. Number one, declare that you are curious and that you may not be aware of the proper language to use. Number two, clarify with yourself what it is that you want to ask. And if you don't know what it is, you want to hit on the feeling or something like that, that's okay. Just don't overthink it. Number three, ask for permission. And number four, give the person you want to ask the power to accept or decline your request. Remember that you're asking for information about that person's life. It may pertain to you, but you still need to get that permission to ask the questions, to talk about it, and just not assume that you have a right to it, regardless of what you're going through. You are, after all, inquiring about that person or that family's life. There may be things that they're not comfortable saying, something else that happened. They might just have needed an ear. Clarify before you dive in. When it comes to these episodes and the content that I'm providing, myself, personally, I don't have an issue with somebody asking me questions. I enjoy the questions, to be honest. Just one thing to keep in mind is that Depending on the question you ask, I will have the right not to answer it or say, no, I won't answer it. It's okay to be curious. I'm not recording this for the sound of my voice. I'm recording this because, again, I don't want to see people go through what we did. So if you want to ask somebody about something like this, something traumatic that happened in their life, for me personally, I think just declaring the place that you're coming from first is the first step. Hey, I heard about such and such. I'm really curious. I'd like you to educate me. And 
I'd be wondering if I could ask you a few questions. I might ask the wrong question. I might ask the wrong thing. I want to learn and I want to understand. And I think if you declare your intentions up front, you're going to be... You're disarming the other person. And you're being honest with where you're at. Let's get on to number three. If you've listened to the previous episodes, you know I've talked about the spreadsheet that I came up with to take with us over to Sunny Hill and to keep track of everything that's happened. I have posted this spreadsheet on two Facebook groups that I'm in. I wanted to do that because I want people to have the same experience we did. And I want the barriers removed for families and not to be at the mercy of a doctor who may or may not be any good. Or if you're overwhelmed with the lack of information that you may have and have a hard time doing research, at least if you write the symptoms down and you classify something in the DSM or what you think it might be, it gives you a guide. It's a template. The other day, I got this really, really, really nice message. And I thought I'd read it to you. The message goes like this. Just wanted to say thanks again for the spreadsheet idea. We actually got in on a cancellation to the pediatrician last week. And she read my sheet the night before, and it was beyond helpful. I can't even imagine the appointment without it. Based on that visit, I have added to my notes for the autism assessment with the things that she brought up. Maybe we will get a cancellation in there as well. Now, that makes me feel really, really good. And I just wasn't expecting it. It really has made my week. It's put a big smile on my face. And that's why I did it. One family that doesn't have to suffer, you know, through a process that's really hard. And it gives the family a language to use with the medical community. And that's massively important. Massively important. Okay, so let's get into swimming. No, no, I'm going to say it. Let's dive into swimming. So what not many people know about myself is I grew up as a competitive swimmer. I started somewhere between 11 and 12. And I stopped when I was about 15 or 16. And the reason I stopped is because I ended up getting tendonitis in both my shoulders. And it hurt. I basically just overdid everything. And I loved swimming so much. I wanted to continue to swim. I didn't want to stop. And it was just... Swimming really for me was a, was a release. So... That's mostly why I stopped. Other cool things about swimming. Here in BC, we have, we have I don't know if they still have it, the BC Summer Games. So I was an alternate to qualify for that. My favorite stroke was butterfly. And I think of swimming differently, I think, than most people. I think of swimming as a, I think of all the steps that I'm doing when I'm taking strokes, where my arms are supposed to be, where my body is, 
you know, how many breaths I'm going to take, when I'm going to take them. And I just break down the mechanics of it in my head every single time. So that's always stuck with me. When my shoulders finally gave out, I did stop swimming. And I actually didn't pick it up again until probably I met my wife. I think when we started to date, I'd had my car accident and I went started to go back into the pool. And that was good. I was reconnecting with it. Competitive swimming piece. I've obviously taken that. I shouldn't say obviously. I've taken a lot of that knowledge. And when I started to get in triathlon a few years ago and I started to swim again, I also worked on teaching my son how to swim. Eventually, I found my way into uh, the Canucks Autism Network, and I've been a swim coach, support worker, and that's an absolute blast to do. I, I love teaching those kids how to swim, and it's, oh, it's so much fun. So there are a ton of simple things that you can do to practice swimming without having to go into the pool. And a lot of kids who are autistic, a lot of kids who have coordination issues, um, or a DCD, dyspraxia, that I don't want to see you stop enjoying the water. Please don't. Keep swimming. It's fun. At some point, what I'm going to do is record just episodes dedicated to swim. And hopefully somebody can choose to listen to it. They're wondering why this is here. But... I thought I'd start with a couple really, I don't know, simple, easy tips. So here is the first scenario that I was presented with by a friend of mine. Her youngest child tends to sink. There's a couple things that you can look for that typically are the reasons why you're sinking. And let's just put this in context of, say, a float. We're not going to talk about freestyle or front crawl or any of the strokes right now. Let's just do this in context of a float. There actually is an interesting thing I've heard about a while ago, speaking of floating and freestyle. When you're swimming, the only reason you're not sinking or doing freestyle is because you're moving forward. That, that motion is the only reason why you stay up. Random. There you go which also means you're always sinking. <laughs> Anyways, if we're talking in the context of a float, first thing you can look at is the position of the head. Is the head looking, you know, at your feet, at your belly? Is it all the way back in the water? Is it relaxed? That head position is a big thing. So, if you're if your head is out of whack and your head is looking straight down at your feet, you know, you're kind of lifting your neck up a little bit, you are going to have to compensate with your body by trying not to have another part of your body sink, which is weird. So head should be back, relaxed. That's, that's, that's where your head needs to be. The second thing is position of the legs. Are they slightly bent or are they fully bent at the knee? And that's something I see a lot of kids do is they'll just fully bend their knees and they're going to sink. Well, yeah, that's exactly what's going to happen. You, you want your knees to be slightly bent and slightly, I would say, shoulder width apart. That's not, the, the shoulder width apart is not a hard, fast rule. Aim for that as a start. Third thing, the position of the hips. 
are your hips at the top of the water or are they below the waterline? When I teach when I teach somebody about floats, the interesting thing is that I because a lot of kids who are autistic are are very uh, are very literal. It's no point saying, you know, look up at the I don't know, look up at the stars. You know, there's no stars in in a swimming pool unless you're outdoors. So be conscious of the words that you use. I like to be very specific and I might say, I want you to put your hips to the top of the water, not your belly, but your hips. And that's another thing I see a lot of instructors do is they say, oh, get your belly up there. Your belly's got nothing to do with it. It's your hips. You want your hips to the top of the water. If your hips are at the line, you're, you're golden. If you're below the line, you're going to start to sink. The position of your arms is number four. Your arms should be eh, either like a star or close to it, but just not right beside your body. You don't want that. You want your arms out a little bit, maybe at 15 degrees or so. There's a floating, there, there's a tip on floats. Funny enough, as much as I've swam, whether it's the ocean, the lake, uh, the pools, it really does come down to the basics. And that's breathing, that's blowing bubbles, it's floating. So when you're watching other swimmers, the really good ones, think about the amount of hours that they've spent perfecting those things, thinking about those steps and how automated it is in their minds. It's the routine. It's melded into them. And I don't care how good of a swimmer that you may be. I'm sorry, but if you watch a Lionel Sanders, you watch a, I don't know, Michael Phelps or whoever, they blow their bubbles. Okay. They might swim the entire length with only taking one breath, but they're blowing, they'll blow their bubbles. And I'll do one more interesting little swim tip, something that I've recently learned. There is, well, in the case of my son, he's, he's got his DCD, his dyspraxia. So while I'm still trying to understand, I'm still trying to understand it, what, there was another participant that I had at a swim lesson that he's got it as well. And... I know he's been working with physio to get himself stronger. And basically, from my understanding, the interesting thing is that your brain can tell you, your brain may tell you what you want it to do, right? I want to move my arm up, but your body may not allow you to do that. And I think that's where something like DCD comes in. So when you put that into the context of swimming, if you've got a person that is kicking their legs and they're not kicking from you know from their hips and they're kicking with their knee you know bent like and it looks like they're riding a bicycle they may not have the control to have their body do what they want it takes kids a long time in general to develop a good kick so if you have a coordination issue that very well could be the reason when you're at your next swim lesson Take that into consideration. And this is not overnight. Uh, One little joke I have is the point of swimming is not to drown. And that's true. 
you know, you want to have fun, but you also want to survive. And that's one of the big points of swimming. So if you're thinking about trying, you know, why can't my such and such, my child or my partner or whatever, you know, perfect the stroke, it might come down to something like a coordination issue where they can't do anything about it. And they have to work with a physiotherapist or, or an OT or find some other tool to get them above that. Maybe they need to be wearing like some, what we call in the tri world calls them floaty pants, but they're, uh, I laugh at that one still all the time, but they are pants that are made from a neoprene material. They're typically from a wetsuit and you float straight up to the surface and that's fantastic. There's my little random swim tips for you. I do hope it helps. There's a ton more where this comes from. And funny enough, a lot of this ties into our story as a family, too. All right, so there's your episode of Random. Hope it was enjoyable. Hope you learned something. As I said earlier, there is going to be a specific episode on swim and just the different things that we can do. I'd really like to impart some of that knowledge that I have that I know has helped other kids and my own kids. So wherever you are in the world listening to this, stay safe, have a good week. We'll pick this up again next time. If you want to be a guest on the podcast or know someone who would make a great guest, my contact information is in the show notes. This podcast is open to everyone. You don't need to be an expert, just passionate and want to see change. We are the ADHD family. If you like what you hear on this podcast, please give the show a rating so it makes it easier for people to find us. The other day, I lost my AirPods and I looked everywhere in the house. I looked in the fridge, I looked in the freezer, I looked in the bedroom, I looked in the car. The last place I had them was sitting on the couch. You can imagine how disappointed I was when, after spending the entire day and night looking for them, I found them. They were on the couch but I had slid into a basket. I kind of feel bad, like, why couldn't I have left them in the freezer? The opinions expressed by the hosts and guests are not associated with any employer or organization unless otherwise stated. Thank <laughs> you.